This is Three Women and a Bottle of Wine. Three friends. Three former TV reporters. And one bottle of wine. Delving into whatever interests us. News, not news. What affects our lives? Because it's probably affecting yours too. I'm Kim Inslee. I'm Lynn Melling. And I'm Julie Barkey. And now on with the pod. Welcome, everybody, to Three Women and a Bottle of Wine. I'm Julie Barkey. I'm Kim Inslee. And I'm Lynn Melling. And this is a segment that no one will be able to forget, and it stems from an event that Colleen Ronnie can never forget. Yeah, we're going to take you back to 2016, when the worst thing that could ever happen if you're a parent happened. Colleen lost her 20-year-old son to an opioid overdose, and the possibility of this happening in any family i mean we're all parents right this is like you can't imagine anything worse Mm -hmm. colleen not only had to find a way to go on her with her life um, she's finding a way to change the conversation so please welcome a true inspiration colleen ronnie thank you so much for being with us thanks for having me now colleen it's safe to assume many of us think this could never happen in our homes right we think it's never going to happen to us Um, Can you paint a picture for our listeners of life before 2016 in your household? You know, we live in a suburban community. We had two kids and a dog. We played pond hockey in the backyard. Um, I stayed at home. I, I had a profession before I had kids, and then I quit my job so I could be at home full time with my boys. And I did what I think every person thinks they need to do in order to have like this really do the best thing for their kids whatever that means Mm -hmm. Um, I was a very present parent and the kids would laugh because I was the mom who was like cruising the basement checking eyelids you know doing that whole thing anybody snuck in the back door I knew it Um, and they still tease me today but I mean that was my life it was it was lovely so let's fast forward a little bit to 2016, and none of us can really fully understand what you went through, but if you can, can you kind of take us back to that moment, you know, when your son died, how you felt, and then we'll move on to how you moved on from it. Dang, how do you feel? Now, I'm, now I am gonna cry because the last thing that Luke said to me was, Mom, I'm okay. Mm. I'm gonna be okay, I've got this and it's gonna work out, and I love you. And three hours later, we were watching our son being carried out the front door in a body bag. I mean, people don't recognize how this is impacting families from all over the place. I mean, really every community, it impacts, you know, I I was in a school today and I said, you know, it was right after Luke died that I got letters and cards from people who lived within two miles of me saying, you know what, my daughter, my husband, mm-hmm. my sister, my stepfather, my my father-in-law, whatever. I mean, this is impacting people of all ages. And Luke struggled with addiction, correct? You know, he his addiction started with um, a prescription to opioids when he had his wisdom teeth removed. And he was given about a week's worth of an opioid and when that week when was at the end of that week he ended up having dry sockets and Mm -hmm. so he was prescribed another four weeks of Mm -hmm. an opioid Um, and we had no idea in 2013 
um, how much that was quickly changing his brain. I mean, it's three days. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a parent, you again, it's like, how could I not have asked the questions? How could I not have known how addictive those medications were? Um, And Luke struggled, but it was really like a good full year later that he was introduced to heroin. And it was short and sweet or short and horrendous. It was Mm -hmm. two years. And about half of that time, he was in recovery. My, I was just telling these guys, my child was prescribed um, some opioids when she had some teeth pulled and she's, she said no. So choices that are made and none of this was based on any idea of opioid addiction. Before we get into that though, I want you to tell me a little bit about Luke because there's this whole idea of, oh, this could never happen Mm -hmm. in my family. This is absolutely bullshit. It could happen anywhere. Yeah, I mean, and Luke was this super polite, all of his teachers, adored him. I mean, that was sad seeing so many of his teachers come to his funeral and say what a wonderful kid he was. He was the kid who was asking other people, you know, are you okay today? And he always put on this outward appearance of everything being perfect, but he struggled with anxiety and depression. And I think so many kids today are struggling with those Mm -hmm. things. Um, and, and socially, kids who are doing that, they, they try and mask that. They either try and show this perfect, happy face, or they're self-medicating so they don't feel so miserable. And I think that, you know, that's just kind of a natural progression. Mm-hmm. But, I, I, you know, Luke was an extraordinary kid. He traveled with us. He and his brother, who was just two years older, were best friends. He hunted with his dad. Um, we fished. We we traveled as a family together. Just whether it was out to Ortonville to go duck hunting or up to Park Rapids area to fish, and and he wanted to include other people who didn't have the advantages that he did. So it was always a ragtag bunch with him, and that was a lovely thing. Yeah. And I th- I think there still is such a stigma when we hear about opioid addiction or addiction in general that oh that person must have been a terrible person or subpar and my own dad has struggled with um, addiction all most of his adult life um, including opioids and he's a upstanding member of our community and he's a professional and um, I think it's and he also struggled with anxiety and depression and turned to self-medication to deal with that but I um, I think it's an interesting perspective to, to, to talk about. These are real people. They're not, um, you know, degenerates. They're not rejects of society. It could happen to anyone, literally. Yeah, I mean, and it does. And I mean, to look at Luke, six foot three, handsome guy, big, bright smile, huge green eyes. And you never would have in a million yeah. years looked at him and said, that kid is using heroin. I mean, he's struggling with opioid addiction. And when he died, he was a student at ASU. He was wow. pulling a 3.1 yeah. GPA. He had a job. He had um, rushed in a fraternity, so he was in a fraternity. He had great roommates. He s- kept in touch with his girlfriend from high school that they, they dated for several years. And when he died, no one knew that he had struggled. Not his roommates, not his frat brothers, nobody 
I mean, it was a shock. So people hide, and that is when we can't address this adequately mm-hmm. because you can't get well if you can't come forward. And let's start talking a little bit about that. Colleen, you were able to turn what is just, you know, the ultimate tragedy for any parent and do something positive with it. Tell us a little bit about Change the Conversation. Well, change the outcome was my goal. I mean, let's change this so that the outcome isn't people dying. I am so tired of prevention being framed in the context of preventing death. Like, can we go a little further upstream, yeah. please? Mm-hmm. And can we prevent kids from ever struggling with this disease at all? Mm-hmm. Can we give them really basic information? This is not rocket science. It, and kids want information. They don't want to be cajoled or, or scared or, you know, this is really scary stuff. So we are fact-based. I mean, I am all about, I am not here to say, just say no. If that worked, my kid would still be alive. You know, it doesn't work that way. Kids are going to do what kids are going to do. So if you give them the information, and and I say this to the kids, here, here are the facts. And so you have them, and, and should you slip, should you make a mistake, then please ask for help. Because this is a progressive, chronic, sometimes reoccurring brain disease. Yeah. You you go into schools. Um, tell us a little bit about that and kind of the method that you are getting the message out, so that others can have the tools that they need to hopefully not have this happen. You know, it's funny because I I'm very much my parents' daughter, and that they would get their my dad would say, "Oh, she's got her Irish up." <laughs> um, but it's that thing where you. You say, you know what, I don't want you to ever think that my son wasn't a remarkable kid. And it makes me very sad when parents feel like they can't talk about their kids because there's this sense of shame or Mm -hmm, judgment. mm -hmm. I talk about Luke and it empowers other people to talk about their kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was, I was mad because the school that my boys attended did not want to talk about this in the school, really. It was not... You know, it's a hard thing for schools to address. And and in many people would say, well, it's impacting a very few amount of our students. But it, it's it, it's a much bigger problem. I do think mm-hmm. schools struggle with that because the high school that my kids attended, there's usually one, sometimes two or more suicides a year. And the, the t- they don't want to address it because they're afraid by addressing it, it's going to encourage more people to do it. And maybe there's this thought that by addressing it, it's going to encourage more people to do it. That's not the case. Or you normalize the behavior. Right. And it's like, no, we're not normalizing the behavior. We're giving kids tools to to see how they can change those behaviors. And I think parents would want to know, how are you doing this? When you go into a school, what are these tools? You have kids, you have a video, how do you present? So really, it started out with me looking for opportunities to get into schools. And through a lovely chain of events, I was working with the FBI and the Hennepin County Drug Court judge. Mm-hmm. And they they got you know, they can open doors that I, a mom, you know, a suburban mom can't open. So they got doors open and we started in two schools and it went very well. Um, They, you know, through changes in their roles and what they could pursue in terms of efforts in the community, I ended up taking the lead on it. And in doing so, 
while it was great to get the, the ball rolling, we found that the conversation was much more fluid. Kids were much more engaged when there aren't more figure, you know, authority figures in the room. So we bring two young kids in recovery under the age of 25, and we just we start talking about, you know, this issue and the things that they should know to be aware of, how important it is to seek, you know, like just talking about mm-hmm. it. And then do they know how to recognize an overdose if they see it? Do they do they know that they can call 911 and they will not be charged? with a crime that they will in fact be charged if they don't call 911 and someone dies. Um, do they know about Narcan, do otherwise they, no, no right. And do they, so Narcan, and we bring that in, we pass it around, We t- you, this is where you can get it, CVS. Which for the sake of our listeners, Narcan, Naloxone is a, an injection you can give to somebody who's experiencing an overdose and it will reverse that overdose. So it really literally saves a life. And even better for kids, they have a form which most law enforcement people use and it's a little nasal spray. You just mm. spray it up the nose. Where can you get it? CVS, any pharmacy, Walgreens, without a prescription, without a prescription, you can just get it. Yes. So what are you finding really resonates with teenagers? Because I think even adults have a hard time talking about this. And when they see adults modeling a behavior, you know, adults are reluctant to talk about this subject even now. Um, But what really resonates with teenagers and with kids, even younger? I have kids in elementary school. When is it too early to start talking about this with kids? It's never too early. I mean, it's never too early. And and kids pick it up at different points in their life. I mean, some kids really recognize things that are happening around them, you know, at earlier ages and and watch behaviors and see what's being modeled in their homes or by their aunts and uncles or, you know, whatever. But what resonates with kids, I think, is just truthful conversation and, and that I am always here for you. I am your, you know, your parents are the people who love you more than anyone in the world and would do anything. So should you ever get into trouble, I will do all I can to not get angry when you are willing and able and, and courageous enough to confide in me. And I will just let you know that I'm here for you. Colleen, I'm curious. Do you find that a lot of the stories that you hear from kids resonate whether they're from inner city St. Paul or Excelsior, Big Lake? You know, are they almost all the same stories, just different situations? You mean with the kids in recovery? Um, you know, kids are kids. And there are kids just like Luke in Minneapolis or... Edina or Moundsview or Duluth, you know, or Bemidji. And then there are kids who have had much bigger things to overcome. One of the young men who I was with today, his mom was an addict. Mm -hmm. um, And that behavior was modeled his whole life. And he watched her in her addiction. She also had mental health issues. And so he said, we just fed off of each other. Mm -hmm. And I learned that that's what I would do if I was upset or if I was sad or if I was happy. You know, that is what I did. And, And he learned that. And he has recognized the fact that he needed to do the work to get better apart from his mom. She still is an act of addiction. And he said, the only way that I could, and this is a 22-year-old man. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine that 
even now you probably go over in your head what did I miss what did I miss what what could I have done differently and you had a son who was away at school attending college and seemingly doing really really well like every parent's dream really well Um, so what do you say to parents who say oh well you know what's what can I do what did I miss what can I do to make sure this doesn't happen you know I I don't think that you you know that's a myth Mm -hmm. we can't keep our kids safe and even it's that appearance of when they're doing well if you have a feeling that they're not you trust your instincts you trust your gut because if you think something's amiss then it probably is Um, and I would also say that you know if parents are willing to have the conversations and hear what their kids are saying and not try and correct them or or lead them off into a different direction Mm -hmm. but to say we need to participate together like what are we going to do what what would you like to do um i think that's a really good plan because the kids would say it was so hard for me when they would you know my parents or the the adults in my life would say this is what you need to do mm-hmm. you why can't you do this codependency and, yeah, yeah trying to swoop in and fix a problem that you know what it's not your problem to fix and you have letting them figure their, out their own path but that's so hard for a parent who grows up or who, who watches their child growing up and wants to fix everything as soon as something's well, that's wrong your, that's your role as a parent right mm-hmm. you swoop in and you fix it and then they they darn it they grow up and you can't and I would imagine some of the people listening aren't necessarily parents, but are really close to some children. And some kids don't have a supportive home environment. So what kind of advice would you give to somebody who might be an ancillary role model, whether it's a teacher or, you know, uh, somebody in a faith community? Do you have some kind of guiding, um, you know, guiding advice or really is it the same? Well, I think the adults in the room know which kids maybe don't have that good support network or who appear to have a good support network, but maybe they know that that that's more of an appearance thing. Um, I had a woman approach me after um, a, th- a presentation I made yesterday at a church, and she said, I was so happy that you commented on the fact that parents should do all they can to not get angry, because that happened to my niece, and her parents were upset and angry, and they you know, shamed her even more, and so she said, I was able to step in and be that person to help her through re- her recovery. And she said, it was, that was 10 years ago. She's doing really well mm-hmm. now. And, and so I think that you, hopefully you're perceptive enough and have enough compassion and empathy to reach out to those people. And just say, you know what? Man, you may never have an issue. You may never have a problem. But if you ever do, please know that I'm somebody that you could count on. So what's next with you and Change the Outcome? Um, you know, what I'm, my hope, and I said to the kids today, I need to know that this conversation matters to you. I don't want to be the person who says this is important. I want you to acknowledge or say, you know what? No, it's really not, because we're not going to listen to you. And if... And they seem to be consistently saying, yes, this is important. So my goal really is there's 800,000 students in the state of Minnesota. Now, 800,000, that's a lot of kids. And I thought I was really doing good because we've talked about 25,000 kids and educators, students, you know, in the last two years. 
Well, that's like that's a drop in the bucket. It's a pretty big drop. Yeah, though, it is mm-hmm. for one person. So my hope, my plan for the future would be to somehow get our state or our Department of Education to recognize this issue and say, yes, we are going to actually address this in a prevention way, not preventing death, but educating. Let's take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to learn more about what you can do to help change the outcome. And we'll be right back. Three Women and a Bottle of Wine is supported by 515 Productions. 515 Productions is a video production business with base camps in Minneapolis and Des Moines, Iowa. Ian, who's so great, and his crew understand the art of creative storytelling, and they know how to make video look really, really good. Learn more at 515productions.com. Our logo was created by Aaliyah DeSaltz, a creativity guru offering art workshops to everyone from business executives to book clubs because we all have untapped creative potential just waiting to be unleashed. You can find her contact information on our website. You can stay up to date on our podcast by checking out our website, threewomenandabottleofwine.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you'll find behind-the-scenes photos and, of course, much, much more. Be sure you don't miss an episode. Subscribe to our show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with Colleen Ronnie of Change the Outcome. And um, Colleen, this has been a wonderful conversation. And a lot of people who are listening probably want to know how can we help you spread this message? How can we help change the outcome? Well, you know, if you're interested in learning more about the program and really how you can bring it to your community or your school, you can go to the website, which is changetheoutcome.org. Really simple. There's a place to request um, information about a school visit, and you can donate to support what we're doing. This is a 100% volunteer effort. I self-funded the work the first year, and and then my husband said about a year ago, you know what, this is really not a sustainable model for us. I would really <laughs> like to retire someday. So we, we are really shut out from funding um, because schools can get funding, mm. but we can't. And I'm, we're just trying to cover our costs for traveling around the state. And so you can donate at the website. And, you know, every dollar that you donate goes to educating a kid. It doesn't go to salaries. It, you know, we're not, we're, we don't have an office and there's no overhead. So it's a really lovely way to impact your community. Changetheoutcome.org. Yep. Changetheoutcome.org. And circling back real quickly to the naloxone, a.k.a. Narcan conversation, you can find a list of participating pharmacies online. You can just do a Google search. Otherwise, the Minnesota Board of Pharmacy and the Minnesota Department of Health have that information on their websites. And I believe the Department of Human Services as well. So learn more about carrying Narcan. Learn much more about Change the Outcome. And Colleen, thank you doesn't even begin to express how grateful we are for having you here today. You've really been insightful and inspirational. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Colleen, and thank you, Luke. Yeah, thanks, Luke.